Thanks for tuning in today. You're listening to the official podcast of First Alliance Church in Great Falls, Montana, creating passionate followers of Christ. Today's message is from Chris Magruder, one of our elders. I want to give just a little side note before we start. The main point of this isn't that I would teach you how to study the Bible And I doubt that the way that I study anything is the right way, so don't misunderstand me. But what I'm doing this morning is also kind of a picture of how we can look through the Word of God to consider a big idea that we're trying to deal with ourselves. So as I go through the different passages that I'm going to go through, I just keep like as a little side note in your mind, like... See how it all comes together from across the scripture to teach us a big idea about following Christ. So just keep that over there, okay? The title of the sermon today is is Real Freedom. And I think it's really an important topic for us as Americans because we are politically, civically, the freest people that have ever lived. And so we're bound to have a messed up idea of what freedom is. Because it's all wrapped up in all the different things that go on in the world around us and in our culture. Freedom is the freedom to be a rebel or freedom to do what we want or freedom to think whatever it is we want to think. That's not what real freedom is. In fact, I think if you look at our society right now and the way that it's so kind of messed up with each other and split into different factions and so on, You'll see what our idea of freedom does. It really brings us into a slavery that makes it so we can't even be friends with people that don't even think exactly like us, right? Like, it makes us bound up in this, got to hold everything super tight so that we don't lose control of everything. And that's not freedom at all. In fact, I have an example uh, The mountain men were thought of as some of the freest people that ever roamed the earth. Um, I liked the mountain men when I was a kid. One of my dad's friends got me into hunting with him with a muzzleloader. And, you know, we would dress up in mountain man clothes. Kind of funny, you got to dress up to go hunting. Um, But I was really into it for a while. And so I liked the mountain men and the free trappers, the guys that went off into the mountains by themselves. And they were thought of as free. But if you think about it, they really weren't free at all. They were totally enslaved to their next meal. Most of the time they were half freezing to death and most of the time they were starving to death. Have you ever gone into the Rocky Mountains and made yourself a meal for the evening? (laughs) Not that easy, is it? It's like you're eating bugs and stuff trying to get by. But that's our idea of people, as a people, that's our idea of freedom, isn't it? This enslavement to just the next thing we need to survive. But Jesus says that he's going to set us free. And what I've got here today is I've got the sword of truth right here. And I feel like I should be one of those pictures of like a giant muscle guy, you know, with the armor on and this giant sword, you know, like a great big sword that's actually about as tall as me. And if you ever look back in history at the knights and how they did when they fought with a great sword, what, what that was like, mostly they couldn't even hardly lift those swords. Like it was slow and it was cumbersome and it was... And I feel like if there was ever a great sword, like this has to be 
the greatest sword ever. So I feel kind of like this little kid trying to pick up this sword that's bigger than I am to wield it, right? Like, I'm going to wield the sword for the people today and show them what it means. Like, actually, I'm just this little kid standing here with this sword that's way too big for me. It's way too big for my britches. But I have this really big God. And he's given me his spirit so that even I, even I can look into this and learn about what it means to be his. Do you understand what I'm trying to say? Like, I'm not coming here today saying, I'm going to wield the sword of truth. I'm coming here to say, he's wielded it for me. And that's what he's talking about in, in John chapter 8, where we start today. John chapter 8, beginning in verse 31, it says, So Jesus said to the Jews who had believed him, If you abide in my word, you are truly my disciples. I mean, he's telling us, here's his word. Abide in this, and this will make you my disciples. Abide in this. This is what it means to be my disciples. And then you will know the truth. From abiding in his word. And the truth will set you free. The truth will make you free from all these ideas of freedom that we have as a people. And what we have to do to keep our freedom. And all the slavery we make our, bind ourselves up to in trying to be free. Here Jesus is saying, abide in my word and you're going to be free. You'll have the real truth. And that's freedom. And then he goes on and he says, Or they answered him, We are offspring of Abraham and have never been enslaved to anyone. How is it that you say you will become free? And I feel like we should say, But we're Americans and we've never been enslaved. We're free. We're, nobody's ever told me what to do. I do whatever I want to do. Which, of course, is why I'm in all the trouble that I'm in. Because I misuse this freedom that I have for things that aren't the truth that sets me free. They're my ideas. And then it goes on and says, um, Jesus answered them, Truly, truly, I say to you, everyone who practices sin is a slave to sin. I don't know if we ever stop and think about that, but I, you know, we've heard, probably you've heard of besetting sins. Or the sin that, that we struggle with that is our besetting sin. The thing that comes on us that we really struggle with. And that's an example of when we're really kind of messed up in our thinking. It's, the besetting sin isn't just one sin that you have. That that one's the one that's keeping you down. Because I promise if you get rid of that one sin, there's others that you're dealing with. Besetting sin is sin in general. Do you understand that you belong to God, whether you believe in him or not? He made you. And so everything that you do that's outside of his will and his way and his purpose and his idea of what's right is wrong. It's sin. And that is what binds you to the world and binds you to your slavery and binds you up in this this slave life that is bound, that's trying to get everything right all the time 
trying to hold on to this really tight so we can be good or trying to hold on to that really tight so that we can have what we want or trying to get that and if only I had this or if only I had that, then I would be okay. And then you never get that because the thing you thought you had to have is never the thing you thought it was. Once you, am I, that's getting a, you know what I'm saying though, right? You've experienced this. And to that, Jesus says that everyone who practices sin is a slave to sin. And then he says, the slave does not remain in the house forever. The son remains forever. So if the son sets you free, you will be free indeed. He's saying, if the son sets you free from sin, in the son, you're free forever. You don't have to be a slave to that sin. You don't have to be the person that's constantly doing that sin. You're free not to sin now. When you think about freedom, what is freedom? It's the opposite of slavery. And he's saying if you sin, you're a slave. It's if you sin at all, you're a slave to sin. But Christ sets you free not to sin. You're, that's what it means. You're, if you're enslaved to sin and then he says you'll be free, it means you're free from sinning. And so you don't have to go through life trying to make your own way to get things right, to be whatever it is you think your idea of right is. So then as I'm looking in the scripture and I'm trying to think about this idea of freedom, I did what any good scholar would do. I looked in the concordance and found everywhere it said freedom and looked that up. So I found Galatians chapter 5. Another great passage that talks about freedom. Really kind of an interesting change though. So first Jesus teaches us about our freedom from sin. And then we go to Galatians and we hear hear a teaching about the foolish Galatians. And why were they so foolish? What was foolish about them? Well, I'll tell you, in in Galatians chapter 4, in verse 21... He says, tell me you who desire to be under the law, do you not listen to the law? For it is written that Abraham had two sons, one by a slave and one by a free woman. And he goes into this explanation and he says how those that are born of the slave woman are enslaved to the law, but those born by the spirit are free from the law. And he, com- and he ends it up with Galatians chapter 5 verse 1 where he says, for freedom... Christ has set us free. Stand firm, therefore, and do not submit again to a yoke of slavery. So, so we get this, we're free from sin, and what, what do we do if we're not going to sin? Well, I guess the only option if we're not sinning is to follow the law of God, right? I mean, isn't that logical? And isn't that where your brain kind of goes? Well, if I'm not going to sin, that means I have to do what God wants. And what does God want? Well, he wants what his law says, And that's what they're doing in Galatia. They're trying to follow the law so that they can be right with God. And then he says, but Christ has set us free. He actually says, for freedom, Christ has set us free. He set us free to be free. I mean, these passages talk about that big sword I'm wielding. You know, it's way over my head here. But the Spirit is making this true here, helping us to understand. We're set free from sin, but here... We're, set, we're not set free from sin to obey the law to be right with God. Don't be, as he's talking about the law, he says, Stand firm, therefore, and do not submit again to a yoke of slavery. 
Don't think that if you're not going to sin, you have to obey the law to be right with God. It's Christ that sets you free, both from slavery to sin and slavery to obeying the law to be right with God. But if you're like me, that leaves me kind of going, so what am I supposed to do? You guys ever feel that way? Like, okay, I know that obeying the law is not going to get it done. And I know I'm not allowed to sin. So I guess I'll stand here and not move. Because I don't know what to do next. Right? And then it gets even more confusing. Because as he explains not to be circumcised, that if you try to follow the law, you have to follow the whole law. Come down here to verse 13. For you were called to freedom, brothers, only... Do not use your freedom as an opportunity for the flesh, but through love serve one another. For the whole law is fulfilled in one word, you shall love your neighbor as yourself. But if you bite and devour one another, watch out that you are not consumed by one another. So I go, okay, so I just have to love. I, I know what I need to do. I've got, the, I've got the not sin part. I've got the not obey the law part. All I got to do is love. Believe me when I tell you, it's a lot easier to follow the law than it is to love. <laughs> I mean, that one always, I used to think that way. I thought, now remember, and you'll hear it in, in Christendom out there. Remember, it's just love. What is this Bible? It's just a love letter. Okay, well, that's fine. But do you know that God's love is a terrible love? That God's love is the kind of love that crushes its own son? to rescue the object of its love? Do you know that the love that God is calling us to is the kind of love that is completely impossible for you to do? It's a much harder standard. It'd be a lot easier if, if all I had to do was eat at the right time of day and do one of these, you know, then I'd be okay. But rather, it's this love, this thing, this, this terrible, weighty, incredible thing, love one another. And then he makes it even more confusing because he says all the law is wrapped up in this and I thought I wasn't supposed to follow law but now I'm supposed to do what the law... Well, what do I do? I don't know if you guys feel the weight of that in your daily life but, but I sure do. It's like this thing. I know that I'm, the fruit of the Spirit is love and joy and peace and patience and kindness and gentleness and self-control. And John taught me a few years ago that that's one thing. Because it says the fruit, singular, of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness. It's like, wait a minute, I, I can't even get one of those really good. I mean, I don't know if that, if that comes home to you in your daily life, but it sure does to me. And then I remind myself, it's fruit, right? It's not something that I make. It's fruit of the Spirit. So it's, it's coming from the Spirit. And I go, but I don't have that much joy. And so if I don't have that much joy, does that mean I don't have the Spirit? I mean, wait a minute. Now what am I going to do? Jesus said he set me free. And for freedom's sake, he set me free. And I'm to have joy. And it's all from the Spirit. And I don't have it, but so wait. What do I do? So then we turn to Romans. Chapter 7 is what we do. Because we're following the Scripture as he teaches us about about this idea of real freedom, what it means to be truly free. And we learn something here. We're going to learn a bunch of stuff here, I hope. But, man, 
This word of God doesn't leave one stone unturned about what you need to know in life. In fact, before we read into it, we need to think about the fact that no matter what is going on in the world around us, it is this truth that we need to be resting in, standing in, fighting with, having victory in, leading us down the path of following Christ, no matter what occurs in life. I mean, think of the history that you know about what was going on in the lives of the people that God gave these words to directly through Paul and through the authors of the New Testament that the Spirit inspired to a people that are under the persecution of the Roman government who's trying to kill some of them and so on. He's saying, walk without sinning. Walk in the Spirit. Love your neighbor. Love your enemy. To those people. So it really applies to us because when we look at the world that we live in, we go, well, I got to take care of this messed up world first, then I'll live for Christ. No, no, it's while you're living in the messed up world that you really live for Christ. That's when this, this truth is really true. I often say, if you can't hold this truth up to the worst thing you can possibly think to deal with, then this isn't truth. But this is truth. This is the truth. It's the word that if we abide in it, we, ab- we are Jesus' disciples. Isn't that where we started today? Abide in my word and you will be my disciples and the truth will set you free. And you'll be free in Christ even if you're a slave in the world. I mean, it even covers that in the New Testament. Amazingly, it covers stuff we need to know. And he says here in verse 8, I'm sorry, not verse 8. Verse 6 and 7, I'll read them both. I know there's a divider there, but we don't care about those. We're just going to read the word. It says, But now we are released from the law, having died to that which held us captive, so that we serve in the new way of the Spirit, and not in the old way of the written code. What, shall, what then shall we say, that the law is sin? By no means. Yet if it had not been for the law, I would not have known sin. For I would not have known what it is to covet if the law had not said, you shall not covet. So he's saying it's not that you have to follow the law to be right with God. You're released from having to be made right by following the law. But the law is good because it reveals to us what sin is so that we know what we can be delivered from. Because God's way is the way. I mean, when you read this and something in here doesn't make you happy, do you think, I don't know if that's right? Stop that. (laughs) (laughs) This is the word of God. It's the right one and you're the wrong one. But I don't know that I think that way. I don't know if you all think that way. I don't know if, if when we read that it says don't, You know, have sex outside of marriage. We go, well, unless you're really in love. That's not what it says. We don't like some of the things it tells us, so we hold them up and we go, I'm not sure if that's really true or not, which is code for, I'm going to keep doing it. And what this law was given to do was to show us that no matter what we do, trying to be right with God ourselves, trying to be right in the the world 
We're not going to accomplish it. it. It reveals that to us. So that when we see, if I covet, I'm in trouble. And it's really not by accident that he picks covet. Because covet is the commandment that has to do with inside. You don't go out and do coveting to people. You covet inside your heart other stuff. And it's not just other stuff that people have. It's anything that God hasn't already given you. Do you know that what you have is a gift from God? Even the bad stuff that you think is really bad to have, that's God according to his, I mean, the next chapter he's going to say, he's working all things together for your good. Which means all the stuff that you're going through is God's gift to you to bring you into this place where you are free from the world, the flesh, and the devil. Where you're free from sin and free from obeying the law to be right with God. You're made right with God through faith in Christ Jesus. And then you have this bound up trouble that you got to deal with. The I know I can't sin and yet the law doesn't free me. And yet I still have to love like Christ loves. And I don't know what to do. And then he gives us his word to teach us that. He's like, hey, it's not the law. The law was given to, to show you that. In verse 8 he goes on. But sin, this is really something. He says, but sin, seizing an opportunity through the commandment. Sin, seizing an opportunity through the law. Produced in me all kinds of covetousness. For apart from the law, sin lies dead. I was once alive apart from the law. But when the commandment came, sin came alive and I died. What he's saying is, I once thought I was just fine with God apart from the law. But then when I got to reading what God requires, I realized I'm dead. I'm undone. I I can't do this thing. When, When you stop and think about who God is, the perfect, holy, holy, holy God, the one that has to be repeated three times to get to where the scripture takes us on how holy he is, If that doesn't make you sit still and not move, you're not thinking about it right. This God who is so pure that purity is is the thing that he is. Do you understand? He doesn't do stuff because it's good to do. It's good to do because he does stuff. It's the other way around. It's God's way. And then we come in and we go, well, Okay, I understand it's not the law, and I don't know if you guys are like this, but so then I make my own rules. Right? Like, since God's rules won't make me right, I'll make my own to make me right, which has got to be one of the most foolish things we do. And maybe you guys don't do it, but I sure do it. If I just spend my money in this way, then I'll be right with God. God gave you the money. He doesn't need your money. He owns the cattle on a thousand hills. He's not needing of your money. That's not what this is about. It's about this heart work that I'm talking about, this freedom. We have, Christ says, if you're my disciples, you'll be free indeed. And I want us to be free. I want to be free. He says I'm free. So why am I walking around like I'm a slave? Why am I walking around discouraged and and troubled about what I know to be true about me. I mean, every time I hear one of these messages, somebody talking about how good we are, I'm going, man, you don't know me at all. And I'm not even, I mean, it's funny, but it's tragically funny because it's true. 
when I, when I overcome a sin, there's been sins in my life that God has been gracious to help me overcome. And wow, victory. Amazing. Glorify God. And still didn't love my neighbor that great. You know, you see those t-shirts, I don't hate people, I just hate people around me. Or that kind of thing. I think they're funny too. Good thing Jesus doesn't think they're funny. Because I, I can't imagine that what I'm like is what he, he likes. I mean, do you ever think about pop music? I don't know if you guys hate pop music like I hate pop music, but I try to like it, you know, because I know the young people. I don't. No, I do try. And once Levi even asked me, how can you not like that song? And I'm like, because you turn it on, it makes me want to hit my head on the wall. I mean, I'm trying with my teenager to like something. I went to a heavy metal Christian concert, which scored all of my fibers. And I stood there, and the guy's like telling us to jump and stuff, and I'm standing there going, don't tell me what to do. You know, like, I want to like it. I just can't. You don't think I'm like that to Jesus? If he was just looking at the flesh? I mean, thank Jesus, he's not just looking at the flesh. And the love that he has for me is the love he's calling for me to have for others. I'm still not doing that. So even if I've overcome some rule that I made for myself to be right with God, I'm still not right because the standard is love. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, mind, soul, and strength. And love your neighbor as yourself. I mean, we talk about that. We go, well, you feed yourself, so you got to feed your neighbor. Hey, I give myself entertainment and stuff. And a lot of entertainment. The standard here is Christ's standard. And, and the rule of the law won't make me right. Certainly the rule of myself isn't going to make me right. And yet I'm not allowed to sin. And that's what Paul's teaching us here. It's really interesting. There's some discussion as to what, what is going on in this section of Scripture because it doesn't sound like it could be a believer that's saying these things. But then it sounds like Paul's saying it about himself and we know him to be a believer. So, so what's happening here? And I, I'm approaching this from the idea that this is, this is Paul talking about himself. This is a believer this is a believer's heart because this really lines up with my experience. And also, I think theologically, I can, I can prove it through the scripture that, that what I'm saying is that this is about a believer. But we can see here, it says in verse 13, well, we'll go verse 11, and then it says, For sin, seizing an opportunity through the commandment, deceived me, and through it killed me. So the law is holy... And the commandment holy and righteous and good. So not coveting is holy and righteous and good. And then it says this. Did that which is good then bring death to me by no means? So the law didn't bring death to me. The law is good. Remember that. I'm not saying the law isn't good. That's not what this teaches. It's really important to understand. It says... By no means it's the law is good and it was sin producing death in me through what is good 
in order that sin might be shown to be sin and through the commandment might become sinful beyond measure. This law is given to show me, to teach me, to give me clear understanding of the fact that sin is heinous and has to be totally avoided. There's no right for the Christian to sin at all. And that's what the commandment shows us. And then we go, and we know that Jesus delivered us from sin. Remember, we're free from sin. And we're not back to doing the law. The law was given to show us how sinful the sin that Jesus delivered us from is. And so now how do we deal with this heart issue? And that's all, it comes into verse, that thir- verse 13. If you notice, it's past tense, right? It was By no means, it was sin. It was, past tense, sin producing death in me. Then in verse 14, it says, For we know that the law is spiritual, but I am. So now. So sin was, I am now. So we're coming into the present tense. I am of the flesh, sold under sin. So the flesh in me. Did you hear how he added that word flesh? That, that word isn't spirit, it's flesh in me. Sin in my flesh, right? That's now. So that's Paul the believer saying, this sin that's still trapped in my flesh. And he goes on in 15, For I do not understand my own actions. For I do not do what I want. But I do the very thing that I hate. Now, if I do what I do not want, I agree with the law that it is good. So now it is no longer I who do it, but sin that dwells within me. For I know that nothing good dwells in me that is in my flesh. For I have the desire to do what is right, but not the ability to carry it out. I mean, does that not just resonate with you? I mean, when I read this passage, I'm like, oh, somebody gets me. I don't know if, I mean, every time I've read this passage, I just feel this weight being lifted. The the God of the universe thought to tell Paul to write down my life experience for me. I mean, I, that's exactly, I want to do the right thing. I want to love my neighbor as myself. I want to. I just don't. And then I'll make a joke like, have you seen my neighbor? Right? I'm my neighbor. I live with me all the time. I'm my own worst enemy. And that's what I think the Spirit is doing here, is giving us this object lesson in the Scripture. And do you see how the Scripture brought us freedom from sin and freedom from obeying the law and then addresses this reality of us down deep inside that we want to be like Christ wants us to be, but we still can't be. And he says, it's because of the sin in my flesh. It's creating this this idea of already, but not yet. I'm already free in Christ if I have faith in Christ. I'm already free to be perfect as God intended. But I'm not yet there. Because there's still the flesh on me that messes with my freedom. Do you see? This, friends... What I'm doing today is I'm taking the gospel past just saving me from the wrath of God to what God saves me to. The glorious deliverance from slavery to sin and the law. 
the glorious deliverance unto loving like Jesus loves. In a world that's falling apart, they crucified Jesus. People picked up stones to try to stone Jesus. He lived without a home. He wasn't living some healthy, wealthy life. Oftentimes didn't have enough food, no place to lay his head. If that's you, praise the Lord for letting you suffer with Christ. And realize what the real truth that circumvents all the discussions we're having about what to do in the world. This is what to do in the world. Whatever this says is what to do. He goes on in verse 20. Now if I do what I do not want, it is no longer I who do it, but sin that dwells within me. So I find it to be a law that when I want to do right... Evil lies close at hand, for I delight in the law of God in my inner being. But I see in my members another law, waging war against the law of my mind, and making me a captive of the law of sin that dwells within my members. And so we wield the sword of truth on this, and we go, wretched man that I am, terrible within myself, I realize how wicked I am and how much I can't do what God calls me to do. Wretched man that I am, that this is supposed to bring you to understand this passage that tells you about your flesh still wanting to sin brings you to you wretched person that you are, the one down deep inside you that's wretched. Wretched man that I am, who will deliver me? From this body of death. Who? I can't do it. That's what he said. I can't do this. I can't be sinless. And I can't obey the law. Who's going to deliver me? I want to do it and I can't do it. Even when I try to do it, I can't do it. Who's going to deliver me? Thanks be to God through Jesus Christ our Lord. Do you understand what he's saying? It's through Jesus Christ that this is going to be true of you. Not through you, but through Jesus Christ. If you stand up there on judgment today and go, look at what I did, you're, you're in deep trouble. But if you stand up on judgment today and go, look at what he did, then you're delivered. And the Lord goes, hey, he did good stuff. And he died for you. And it says... He just clarifies, thanks be to God through Jesus Christ our Lord. So then I myself serve the law of God in my mind, but with my flesh serve the law of sin. I still, he doesn't leave us thinking, so now that's over. He brings it right back around to this is still the state of your existence is going to be this battle between the old flesh and the new flesh. And then he says these incredible words. There is therefore, there is therefore, what's the therefore? you got to stop and ask, what's the therefore? It's because what he just said. Because he delivers us in Christ. Because we're delivered in Christ. Therefore, now. When? Now. Now, no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. You're not condemned in Christ Jesus. If you're not in Christ Jesus, you're condemned. But if you're in Christ Jesus, even though your experience is this war between the flesh and the spirit, you're not condemned. 
You're forgiven in Christ. Condemned is the opposite of justification. We've heard the, the doctrine of justification. This is the opposite. He's saying you're not condemned because you're justified in Christ. And he's going to go on and teach that. And he does, we got to read the first four verses here just to make clear. He says, for the law of the spirit of life, a new law comes crashing into this. The law of the spirit of life. The law of who? The spirit of life. This is the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit has set you free in Christ Jesus from the law of sin and death. You're free. You don't have to live according to that anymore. You can now live according to the Spirit. For God has done what the law weakened by the flesh could not do. Who did it? You did it? No, no. God did it. Through His Son. Your flesh is weak and can't do it. So this gospel that we talk about all the time that we hold as though the thing to get you in a right relationship with Jesus and then you're on your own, that's not the case. That's just the beginning of the gospel. That's just the beginning of the good news. The real good news is that the Spirit is going to set you free from the continued struggle with your flesh for the rest of your life until the already not yet becomes right now perfect in heaven. With Jesus forever and ever and ever. Free from sin. No more tears. No more struggle. Do you see, friends, how this word of life, it can come into the darkest place in your heart. Into the place in the world where you don't know what to do. Where What if our country falls? What if I lose my home? What if I lose my job? What if I can't get this right? What if I'm still struggling with my sin 20 years from now? What if I, what if I, what if I stop talking about you and talk about Jesus Christ? And just in case we miss it, I'm going to wrap it up with this verse. Verse 11. If the spirit of him who raised Jesus from the dead dwells in you. If God dwells in you. If the spirit of God dwells in you. He who raised Christ Jesus from the dead will also give life to your mortal bodies through his spirit who dwells in you. He will do it. He will be the one that makes you holy. Seek him for life and freedom, real freedom. Let's pray. Gracious Heavenly Father, for freedom you have set us free. Holy Spirit, please fill us and lead us and give life to our mortal bodies that we might walk glorifying you till the day when the already not yet becomes right now. When you come back, Lord, come quickly, Lord Jesus. Amen. We hope you are blessed by the message today. Follow us on social media to keep up to date with church news and events.